Desperado. Sitting in a whole Monte Carlo. A man is hot as hollow. Take it easy. I'm not trying to go against you. Actually, I'm going with you. Gotta get up out of here and you and Welcome to another edition of Dropping Dimes. This is Brittany Johnson alongside Cedric Williams, Sasha Bloom, and the guest of the day, Jordan Powell, tight ends coach for the Washington Huskies. Jordan, what's going on? Nothing much. We're excited to have you. Thanks so much for calling in. I know uh, we've been uh, trying to get some good guests on here. Um, we've had a couple, you know, but this is like, I'm really excited to have you on. No, I appreciate you having me here, and you know, hopefully at the end we'll we'll judge if I was a good guest or not. But hopefully, <laughs> some good stuff. There's a lot of debate nationally of where the best place to watch a football game is collegiately, and I'd have to put the University of Washington right up there. Like if you're at the stadium at five thirty in the morning setting up, and you're on the sunrise and you get to see the ocean, it's literally one of the most beautiful places in the world. Yes, I, I would just say just the uniqueness um, of Husky Stadium is probably the one thing that jumps out to mind. Um, you're surrounded by water everywhere. Very rarely do you have, you know, 100 yards behind one of the end zones is, is literally Lake Washington. Um, and then in terms of, you know, a lot of the pregame festivities, I think what are what make it truly unique too, um, having – you know, a lot of fans and boosters and everybody sailgating is what they call it, you know, <laughs> to the game, um, you know, and, and being able to come back and forth to the stadium, I, I think, again, is something that's truly unique. Um, if, if I could ever find a way to try and uh, operate a game from one of those boats, I think I'd try and get that done. <laughs> so let's kind of run through this really quick. Um, your accolades stand out in high school, El Camino High School. What what El Camino Wildcats played for USD? I, I like how you shamelessly plugged that. One. <laughs> oh, you you wouldn't think that I went there or something. I don't know. Uh, after that, standout at USD, spent time uh, season at Azusa Pacific, recruiting coordinator, offensive line coach, run game coordinator, served as recruiting assistant at Stanford under Jim Harbaugh. Now, tight ends coach at Washington. I mean, how do you accomplish all of this at such a young age? Well, I think a lot of it was just timing and opportunity. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of young coaches out there is um, you can't necessarily control and, and really don't know where your next opportunity is going to be. And, and one of the things that I always think is, um, you know, if you get into this business, a little bit of, you know, one foot in, one foot out, you know, you're always kind of looking for the next opportunity. Um, you're going to put yourself in a losing situation, quite honestly. So for me, it's always been um, really kind of putting an emphasis on taking pride in, in the work that I was doing, um, you know, and, and really the product kind of ends up speaking for itself. And hopefully you get some opportunities um, based on the work that you've done, but you can't control it. So um, really it's just kind of at the end of the day, taking pride in, in, in your work and, and making sure that you're always trying to, to learn new things and ultimately be the best at what your 20 square feet is. You say it's timing. You've timed that out perfectly. Like <laughs> <laughs> everything that you have done, like how old are you? 31. Wow. You make me feel unaccomplished. I know, me too, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you also work worked at Stanford and Washington now, which are two of the most prestigious schools in the world in terms of an academia setting. 
sure. Are, are there disadvantages of being a young coach in those type of settings is where maybe you could go to the South or you could go to the Midwest where academia is not set at such a high level? Well, you know, my biggest deal has always been, I, I think it, um, from my perspective, was always pretty unique, you know, especially having my first job out of college being at Stanford um, and, and now working at Washington is it really helps you know, really get a great vision of a recruiting footprint of what are you exactly are you looking for? Um, and at both of our schools, um, you know, it's very important that you kind of nail down the academic portion of it. So, you know, one would say, Hey, you have a limited amount of kids you could look at, but in, in another regard, at least you really get to kind of filter through exactly what you want out of a high school transcript. Um, so I think that's probably been one of the best things, you know, especially early on in my coaching career, um, was to be able to deal with that and um, kind of see how that worked it, it kind of in the background of your recruiting process. Now, as you're making these decisions, you know, at the at this young age, um, coming out of college, you didn't spend a lot of time like going back and forth, like, uh, you know, trying to make it to the NFL. And you just said, when did you come to that decision? Like, okay, that's done. I'm going to be a coach. This is the route I'm going to take. Sure. Um, my dad's been a football coach for very, very close to about 45 years um, in all levels, you know, so um, high school to coaching at San Diego State to coaching in the CFL um, with my Uncle Joe for about three years or something along those lines. So I always knew in the back back of my mind and, and in my heart that I was going to be a football coach, which was ultra depressing for my mother. I don't think she talked to me for about a year after I did that, once I had gotten an accounting degree from USC. <laughs> um, but I, I had always kind of known that it was something I was passionate about. And, um, you know, that was the time that I got to spend the most, um, really the most time with my dad was fall camp. So coming into August, kind of at the end of July, that, that was kind of ingrained that, hey, that was football camp time. And that was uh, truly unique for me just because I got to spend a lot of time with, with my pops. So you played under Coach Harbaugh at San Diego, right? Yes, so yes, I did. How how was that as far as seeing him in his day-to-day activities and processes as a coach? How What did you pick up from him moving forward being a coach? He is an unbelievable motivator of men. Um, you know, I, I think he is – truly unique at, at really establishing an us versus them mentality um, of being able to truly motivate guys to play above what they originally thought that they were capable of. Um, and you just kind of look at the track record of wherever, you know, coach is gone. He's, he's traditionally been a perennial winner. Um, I mean, I don't, uh, the time that I spent with him at USD, I think we lost a total of uh, six games in three years. So for me was, um, he was operating at a lot at very, very high level of football IQ. Um, and he was, he was great at motivating. Plus the one thing that I probably took from him is he surrounded himself with a lot of great assistants. Um, you look at some of the assistant coaches that I had had at USD. I mean, Dave Adolph was an NFL defensive coordinator for a long, long time was all, one of our coaches. David Shaw was there who's now the head coach at Stanford. He was our offensive coordinator. Lance Anderson, now the defensive coordinator at Stanford, was one of the assistant coaches. And the list just kind of continues to go on and on and on about guys that are either currently successful or, or guys that are coaching now. So I, I think that was something that really jumped out to me was the quality of coaching that we had gotten you know, for a small non-scholarship FCS school in San Diego. 
Now, how have your conversations changed um, with Jim Harbaugh and even your dad just from because it seems like your conversations merely would be um, conversations about being a player and then now you're a coach. So how have those conversations kind of shifted? Well, with my dad, I kind of joke. He's he's essentially like an extra assistant. He's the assistant tight ends coaches um, because he watches the game and then tells me every Sunday how poorly of a job that I'm doing. <laughs> That's been a, a tremendous humbling factor um, for me. But it's also been, a you know, a kind of a unique bond. I, and I think that something, you know, um, Brittany had known my family growing up. I have probably about seven first cousins or uncles that are football coaches now, whether it's high school, whether it's college. So um, for me is, you know, my family dynamic is awesome because I get to come home and, you know, we'll catch up for a little bit and, and make sure our family's doing well. But there's not very many families that get on like the window and bring out expos. and Hey, how are you dealing with this RPO or what's giving you problems on defense? Um, and being able to talk football for an extended period of time. So it's a little bit more of essentially like a mini convention, but also kind of <laughs> interwoven within our own family dynamic. How do you deal with that pressure of being a coach's son and then competing at such a high level of football? I I mean, it's it's still football at the end of the day, um, something that I love. It, but you guys do like 20 hours of film review and you guys don't sleep like, it's an incredibly difficult job if you look at the amount of hours that are put into it. Without question, but I still think it's something ultimately that, you know, is super important that, um, you know, my fiance was super on board with this one and, and definitely loved everything about the game. Um, so definitely very, very lucky to have that woman to let me do all of this stuff um, and spend as much time that I do. But, you know, secondly is when you're doing something that you love, you know, the time seems to go very, very quickly. And I know that's super cliche, but, you know, when you the long hours, it's worth it at the end of the day to be able to see, you know, the look of a player's face when they get it. When you have put a lot of time and effort into something and, and you finally see them click and have some success. And, you know, ultimately, that's that's what we do it for is be able to kind of see those guys succeed and, and teach them some life lessons. Now, when you go back home. And what's what are your dinners like at the dinner table? I know you come from a very supportive family and everything. Um, sure. Kelsey, Courtney, your sisters, you know, athletes as well. Um, but are they ever like, all right, Jordan, all right, Dad, let, let's stop talking football. Can we just talk about something else? Well, I think Kelsey and Courtney, my younger sisters, are they, you know, they've been around football for so long, they have an opinion on the matter too. You know, they're not scared to tell me when my tight ends are not playing up to par as well. Um, but no. I think mom dominates, so whenever we get back and she's had enough, you know, everybody realizes that it's time to move forward and talk about whatever it is that she might. I'm really, really bad at the HGTV conversation, so I usually I just kind of keep quiet. <laughs> HGTV, that's the channel. That's what I've been told. That's what I've been told. <laughs> so, Jordan, you were the, the lone holdover from uh, Coach Sarkeesian's uh, coaching reign at Washington, right? Yep. How how were you able, or what was the process of you being able to stay there um, as, with Coach Peterson coming in? Gotcha. Well, it, when that whole transition came in, you know, Coach Pete was unbelievable, just in terms of being completely honest with everybody, um, in terms of kind of the forecasting for how the staff was going to look and what was going to happen. And he had told me initially right away that there was going to be at least one coach, for sure, excuse me, 
that was going to be held over for that staff and that he was considering me for that position. Um, so we had kind of gone through the bowl game and he had sat in some of my meetings and I had gone through a little bit of the interview process like that. Um, and then we came back and it was essentially between myself and coach Tuiasopo who is now at Cal, um, to be able to go down to SC to stay close to home. And Tui had decided to go down to SC and that gave me an opportunity to be able to interview for the job, um, being the one holdover, um, for the staff. So just a really, really fortunate to to get that job. And, um, you know, Pete is, is unbelievable. One of the best head coach in the nation by far, just in terms of um, what he does for our players. And I consider myself pretty lucky to be able to stay on staff. Salt Lake City has a special relationship with your head coach because for a long time when he was at Boise State, he put a whooping on Utah like no coach has ever done. Is he – brilliant is he a genius because when i watch when i sideline watch him he seems very smart well one of the things that comes along with pete is not only is he authentic and and you definitely feel you know what he says is what he believes and he lives that way but i think what separates coach pete is you know his attention to detail and his work ethic i mean that man is you know nothing no detail is is too you know big too small we cover all bases um and it's really the work ethic and just that attention to detail that, that carries to the players. Um, you know, Boise has traditionally been, you know, one of those teams that is um, probably had the smartest football players that they've had. They just, they rarely ever make mistakes. Um, and I think that is because of, you know, the emphasis that he puts on his assistants and the detail that he requires um, that you teach um, to all of our players. And I think that's carried over to us and, um, probably one of the big reasons we've been so successful as of the last couple of years. Now, since Coach Pete has been the head coach, Washington has produced the most first and second round NFL draft picks in the Pac-12. Does that help in recruiting players, trying to sway them away from the USC's, the UCLA? Yeah, um, having really, really good players makes you a really good position coach is kind of what <laughs> what I've been learning here recently, but I, I think it's twofold. I think it's one, recruiting the right guys. Um, the guys that are really going to buy into your culture, um, the guys that, that truly are in love with the game of football and maybe not so much in love with the recruiting process, and which is really, really hard to decipher nowadays. Um, but ultimately is, you know, just recruiting good kids. Um, I think it's something that's been really, really good for us. And obviously, um, as those kids have their own specific talents, um, you know, a, a very talented kid is, is again, going to make you seem like a really good football coach when you can get all those things um, right on the front end in the recruiting process. So you've been lucky in, in the sense that you've been under Coach Harbaugh, you, you've coached with uh, Coach Shaw, and now Coach Peterson. Um, does looking If you were to look forward, is that something that you would use to your advantage if, say, you got offered a, a head coaching position? I, I just, you know, I, I think it all goes back to, again, you know, just kind of my family dynamic is knowing that at the end of the day, kind of seeing my dad and my Uncle Joe, you know, all these really big-time football coaches just growing up and taking the things that I really liked that they did, um, some of the best things, and then kind of putting that with my own personality um, and really truly being authentic to myself, uh, I think is something that I, I would carry forward. But yes, uh, I think you're exactly right. I've been 
unbelievably blessed to be around a lot of really, really smart football coaches, successful football coaches, um, and, and really just making sure that every single day is, you know, it's a learning lesson and, and something that I can carry forward um, and continue to build exactly what it is out of my own voice that I want. Is it fair to call football coaches and any coach, you know, whether it's a softball coach or a swimming coach, are they educators and professors? Like, would you consider yourself an educator and or a professor? I think you have to consider yourself a teacher first. Um, you know, just being able to truly take a very, very complicated game. And, and I think, like you alluded to a little bit earlier, whether that be the game of basketball, whether that be softball, baseball, even the technique for, you know, singular events like wrestling, track and field is you have to be able to instruct first and foremost um, for those kids to be able to understand exactly what it is and when probably more importantly, they have to utilize those techniques. So I think that's something that we've always prided ourselves on at UW is we're going to be teachers first. Um, and then you also have to, you know, you're dealing with 18 to 23 year old kids in college. So I think at some point is, you know, being able to kind of truly dictate of, Hey, what do you want out of this whole experience? And kind of going through the, uh, the ebbs and flows of, of exactly what a college career is going to be like for it, for a young man, a young lady at that age. Let's talk about high school athletes. If I'm a high school athlete and I'm looking to go to the next level, what should, what do you look for as a recruiter? What should I, how should I set myself up as a high school athlete to make sure, you know, I get looked at by a recruiter and I get to that next level? Sure. Well, you know, the first thing that we're going to do, and I'm really only talking at the University of Washington right now, is I'm going to look at your transcript first and foremost. I'm going to make sure that, um, one, I have talked with your counselor and that they enjoy dealing with you. I'm going to talk to as many different people um, that's around your circle, whether that be a vice principal, a custodian, what have you, um, and really make sure that we're doing a thorough job of making sure that you are the type of person that we want on campus. And then once we have that and we've got some of those details, then, you know, we'll look at the tape and we'll see where we can dictate from that. Um, but those are, you know, first and foremost is we're looking at a transcript. And matter of fact, Coach Pete won't even look at guys um, unless they have a transcript there, the most up-to-date transcript, and the classes are in order. Um, and you are on a, you know, very good path to graduating. So you got to take your biology classes. you got to take advanced English. you got to do all that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of that kind of goes into your 16 core courses that you need um, to be able to be an NCAA qualifier and, you know, making sure that we do that. But, you know, for us is we just don't want to see people that are going to qualify. You know, we want people that maybe not necessarily are the best at school, but work really, really hard at it. Because if I can get, you know, the deal of, hey, this kid is not, the, does not have the best skill set, but um, works really, really hard at something. I think that's something that you can definitely project into, okay, when things get tough, at, at least this individual is still going to work really hard, even though he may not be the best at it. So, um, and I think that speaks miles for a kid. In this day and age, um, other than the transcripts, how much does a kid's social media play a part also in the recruiting process? I think that has a huge effect. Um, I mean, you can eliminate kids purely based off of, you know, their day-to-day -day tweets, um, which is, you know, kind of brings up an interesting dynamic is this is such a new age of recruiting where, you know, every thought that 
a 13 to 16 year old can be put out in the internet, social media, and you can't get it back. So, you know, dealing with the emotions of high school and, you know, you say a couple things that maybe ultimately you didn't need, you can't get those back. You know, we always kind of feel like if we just kind of sit back and watch and observe, we're going to learn what kind of kid that is over the course of time based off of social media posts and everything along those lines. So. Now, when you're out and you are recruiting, do people recognize you and do like the kids say, yo, can I slide my highlight tape in your DMs real quick? Like, <laughs> how can I get my highlight tape to you? Well, I think the best part is really having a big time relationship with high school football coaches, especially the head coach. Um, that, you know, because the NCAA has so many rules as to what you can, what you can't do while you are off campus recruiting. Um, they are usually the best conductor to be able to try and get transcripts, highlight tapes, information, um, everything like that. I mean, they are paramount in this whole recruiting process um, because they'll, they'll tell you exactly what you need to know. Um, but, you know, for a kid to send me something, it's so easy to send me a highlight tape. And matter of fact, they usually post them in their you know profile, whether it be on Instagram or on Twitter. So it's it's not necessarily trying to find those that are difficult. It's really getting to the information that that matters to us. And, and usually the high school coaches, the head coaches, position coaches are the best guys to do it. Who disseminates all that? So the, if they go on to the football website and, you know, upload their profile and things like that, how does that trickle down? to the position coaches and, and things of that coaches of that nature? Well, I think, you know, again, just with the prevalence of social media now, um, Huddle has become one of the, the most unbelievable tools in terms of trying to go get film on these kids um, because now they can make their own highlight tapes. They can kind of do their own stuff. They can put in their own seven-on-seven -seven, um, clips from time that they were spending outside of that because everything is just, you know, the central bank for all of their films. So for, you know, a position coach or a recruiter for an area, you know, it's very, very simple for me to go on the huddle, see, you know, game, full games. I can really get kind of whatever I want out of that one um, stop shop for high school film. How has the game changed since you've been in high school? Well, kids are a lot bigger. <laughs> <laughs> They're a lot bigger and faster now that I see that. Um but I think the game has changed just with this emphasis of safety, you know, new requirements of tackling, I think has, you know, it, it, it's got to change our game to be able to, to have a game 10 to 15 yards down the field. I, I think, you know, tackling and taking the head out of it. And it's something that our head coach and our staff has been super passionate about, especially our defensive staff um, of just making it safer so that we can play it two decades from now that, that the game that I played can still be the same that ultimately my kids can play down the line that you know hopefully my my nephew can be able to play and and we can all feel really good about the product about you know trying to make sure that we are trying to make this safer um without question steroids don't seem as prevalent to me anymore have you noticed high school kids um not being on steroids yeah i i think that's really gone well I shouldn't say gone away, but I don't notice that a whole bunch at all. Um, you know, whether that be a variety of different individual drug testing deals, but that's something that you just don't see a whole bunch anymore. Um, yeah, when I, I played sport in California in the late 90s in high school, and steroids were prevalent in tennis, swimming, 
they were everywhere. And I've, you know, working the sidelines of Pac-12, you don't see kids on steroids. You see big guys and you see fast guys and you see, but it just, I don't see the evolutionary trend of steroids. And that makes me very happy. Sure. And I think a lot of that too is, you know, you just look at kind of the growth of strength and conditioning coaches and staff and how good of a job that they do at just educating kids. Because I think, you know, a lot of the times, and, and I'm not trying to say this all the time, but, you know, when you go to a GNC or you go to these places, that you know, they don't necessarily have to put in every single ingredient that they have on your supplement that you're taking right there. So I think a lot of times where people do get caught up is just the lack of information um, uh, of what they are truly taking and what is legal. Um, and I think that you even trickle that down to, you know, the high school level. They have, they will have strength and conditioning coaches or guys that are in charge of that that are aware of these things. So I think it, you know, that's kind of a byproduct of that as well. So how do you guys monitor uh, what kids are taking? Because obviously in the summer, you know, they want to get better and improve their stance, maybe for a draft or even for the next season. How do you guys monitor monitor what they're using? Well, I think it's you know it really comes from our strength and conditioning offices, and we have. One of our coaches that is purely inside of, of their diet, nutrition, and um, closely monitors and makes individual plans of exactly what they need to be taking into their body along with acceptable things to take outside of it. Um, so I think a lot of it is, you know, we control. You know, we tell them exactly what to do so we don't even – they don't even need to, to have the need to be able to go outside and find other supplements when they can get everything in-house. So I think, you know, we've done a job, a really good job in our strength and conditioning office by doing that, just kind of taking the guesswork out of it. Now, here's what I need you to do, because we're friends, right? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, sure, sure. sure. So, yeah, I need you. (laughs) I need you to go rob the nutritionist of one of their plans and give it to me so I can know what to do, because I'm trying to drop like 30 pounds. We'll see what we can get done, Brittany. I I don't know if I need to rob <laughs> <laughs> or still borrow my dude just just fine. <laughs> so I looked at your guys's a few of your top targets that you're looking at for tight end and receivers and things of that nature. So in the day and age of of the great tight ends, you got Gronkowski, you got Kelsey, you got just all the guys throughout the league. What makes your mouth water? When you see a kid that's six four, six five, six six, what's the first thing that stands out to you? I, I mean, if we're just talking an athletic standpoint right now, I think one of the things that's been super hard, just in terms of recruiting tight ends, is you get a lot of bigger offensive linemen guys that can't move great, and then you get a lot of bigger wide receivers that don't block very well. So what really kind of is like, okay, now now we're cooking with some gas, is if you can get a kid with a great amount of length, a guy that you look at his shoulders is going to be able to put on a decent amount of weight, and they are run blocking, they are physical. I think that's one thing that really jumps out to me is you don't necessarily need to be in a three-point stance and drive blocking at the line of scrimmage, but if you're out on the edge and kind of operating the offense is this guy physical does he like contact is something that really jumps out to me um and then underneath that is okay when he runs routes you know getting out of breaks kind of evaluate him like a wide receiver 
what kind of catching radius does he have? And, you know, it's super, super rare. But when you can find a guy that can do all of that, that that's what really is kind of like, okay, um, this is a guy that we could potentially talk about becoming a draft pick should all the things fall in line. What would your feelings be if a 17-year-old LeBron James showed up to be a walk-on? 17-year-old LeBron James showed up to yeah, be a walk-on? Yeah, because there was a lot of debate of – could LeBron James be a tight end in football? Yeah. Um, you know, I think you just have to look at guys like Antonio Gates or you look at guys like Jimmy Graham, you know, guys that really didn't play a whole bunch of football. Um, you know, tight end for the Denver Broncos that played basketball at Portland State. Another great example of, you know, you just kind of look at it, and I think basketball players make the greatest transition. Tony Gonzalez is another one. Um, just kind of off the top of my head is just a natural, natural progression of post players that that are able to use their body, have great body control on the low block. Um, you know, the the biggest transition is ultimately just going to be is the physicality of the game. Can they block at the line of scrimmage? Um, you know, in a manner that that I would like them to. And I think that's a wide, you know, degree of that. But I think Tony Gonzalez is probably the best example of. Hey, you get a kid that plays basketball, that is physical at the line of scrimmage, that can make a lot of tough contested plays. You know, that is ultimately the the best example of an all-around tight end. And obviously you're going to have some give and take on both sides of the spectrum, but that would be a kid that's like, oh, okay, that that's a guy. that That's a guy that I want as a part of, of my position group. So what are those sit-downs? Say you have a kid who's an underclassman who wants to jump early to the draft. What are those meetings or talks like with that player or his family? If you think, you know, maybe he needs one more year. Sure. Well, you know, I think it kind of begins in the recruiting process of just being super upfront and honest with their family. Um, so they feel that kind of trust um, that you are going to have, you know, their son's best interest at heart and maybe not necessarily something that's, um, completely self-serving for the team of, you know, whether or not a kid has stuff that he can improve on and, and improve a draft stock. Because ultimately, you know, when you have a guy that's either going to be a going to leave early or you want him to stay another year, what you're really talking about is the difference between, hey, maybe about 25 picks, which could, which could potentially be about $10 million. Um, so if, if there's something that they can get better at, I think the conversations are always going to try and stay close to home. But um, you know, if there isn't a whole bunch they can get better at, if they're going to be a very, very high draft pick, you know, they're, you've done your job, and, and, and ultimately it kind of becomes on what they want to do, you know, as a family. So, When the season starts, do you personally have any X's or marks on any games? Uh, personally, well, I mean, I always enjoy playing the coaches that have either I have coached with or that have coached me. Um, and that's starting to be, I mean, that's almost every Pac-12 team now. Um, game one is, is always something that, you know, is very, very exciting for me, um, just to be able to know that, hey, all the hard work that we have put in up to this point, and, um, you know, that's kind of the ultimate highlight. You know, that's the ultimate lighting block of exactly how hard did you work, and you get to put it on tape, and you get to hit somebody else for the first time um, since, you know, the last one. But, um, for me, a lot of the games are that, you know, they, it is a game where you are trying to put your best foot forward, but game one is always super exciting. 
Um, and then any game that I can play in Southern California where a lot of my family can come and see is always a pretty unique experience as well. So what, what are your summers like as far as, as far as workload? Obviously you're, you're on campus every day, I'd assume. So what, what goes into the summer? The summer is a little bit more of just development mentally, probably with a lot of our players, um, of taking the, the hours that we are allotted. Um, and taking full advantage to kind of take the next step in terms of our uh, my own position's um, mental game. Um, so being able to do that um, and then really kind of working our true freshmen, our incoming guys, kind of within um, the fabric of our team, I, I think that's a huge, huge deal, um, especially if you have a couple guys that may play as a true freshman. I think the biggest jump for seniors to becoming a, a true freshman is probably that that first initial impact of classes of you know getting things done in the weight room and then as well as you know learning the intricacies of a system um, of being able to to take the X's and O's and and try and take that next step. So I think those two things are probably the most paramount. And then uh, probably a little bit selfishly is that's when we get a little bit of our vacation time. Um, so <laughs> you guys a little bit of time away from the office. And making sure my fiance still kind of likes me. <laughs> you guys open up against Auburn this year, right? In uh, Atlanta. Yep, we get to play in the kickoff classic down in Atlanta. That's awesome. That's a huge deal for not only your school but for the Pac-12 too. I think. I think it. You know, it was awesome for us because it, it just provides um, a pretty good spark. I think it led into really, really good urgency with our spring football practices. Um, I thought we had, you know, 15 really, really good ones. Um, and I think it'll be good for us of, of just knowing that, you know, every single day we can't waste a day because we do have a very, very important opponent. And, um, you know, not to say that Auburn's any more important than anybody else on our on our schedule, but they are a very, very good football team. And we know to be able to give our, ourselves a chance to be able to beat those guys, we, we can't drop the ball at all. We not only those guys, day. but the SEC. Let's keep it real. <laughs> we got to give it give it to the sec yeah i think those the sec has done an unbelievable job in terms of i mean you just have to look at the national college football playoff um they're they're a conference right now that has done a really, really good job of getting good teams up there and you know every chance that we get to be able to go represent our conference i think it's something that's super important we put our best foot forward and we haven't we personally at uw have not done that yet so It'd be a pretty cool opportunity for us to go ride it. Yeah, and then you guys come and get your butts kicked by Utah right after that. That's what you keep telling me. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a personal favor, though. You guys play BYU this year. Any chance you can throw 70 on them? (laughs) (laughs) We're going to take that and try Like I said, generic answers from the football team. They got good players, too. All right, this one you can't go generic on. Who's the Huskies' rivalry? Is it Washington State, Oregon, Stanford? I think ultimately what's truly unique about the Pac-12 North is having everybody so geographically close. I mean, anytime that you play, you know, your in-state rival, I think Wazoo is, is an extremely talented team that, you know, rivalry games, they just kind of go out the window. But I think, you know, us, it's for us, is Washington State and definitely Oregon, without question. I think Oregon has made some – they're always been unbelievably talented, and I think they've made some big-time steps in terms of the recruiting. 
um, and doing a good job on that end. And, and especially with, you know, you can always look at at the end of the year, Stanford is going to be a part of that equation for the Pac-12 North. It definitely goes through there. But, you know, you start looking at just from a broader spectrum, Cal is much improved. They, they have done some really good things for the jump that they made in, in just a year under that new staff and coaching with Coach Wilcox and knowing the kind of quality coach that he is and then knowing that Coach Smith, our offensive coordinator, is the head coach for Oregon State. You know, I'm looking for those guys to take a big deal. But definitely rivalry games, you know, that in-state game doesn't go anywhere. Um, you know, Wazoo is, is to this day, in my mind, it's an in-state game and it's, you know, one of the closest in geographic proximity. So, for sure. Now, who do you think? Um, I'm assuming, yeah, you have to watch the NFL draft. That's like your your job. Um, who was the biggest? Who won big in the NFL draft as far as team wise? Well, selfishly, I'm going to go with the Seahawks getting Will Disley. Uh, you know, <laughs> first and foremost, being a homer for yeah one of my tight ends. I, that kid's a player. But the fact that you know, I was thinking about this when you had texted to me. The fact that Saquon Barkley went number two, in my opinion, I know that isn't a popular one. That's the biggest deal in the draft, in my opinion. After watching that guy play in our bowl game, after seeing him in person, um, that was that was surprising to me that the Giants got a guy to drop like that to number two. Um, it was pretty remarkable because um, the guy can do anything. Uh, I mean, kick returner, he can catch the ball at the backfield. He runs. He's unbelievably fast. He's not the easiest guy to tackle either. Um, so that was one of the guys that, that really jumped to me of like, okay, well, you know, I, I felt like the Giants got themselves a, a pretty good deal at number two. How about uh, Griffin? Griffin, uh, or what is it? What? Uniting? Reuniting? <laughs> Reuniting with his, with, with his brother? I think that, you know, I, I have not watched a whole lot of tape on him, so I haven't been able to study him. But just you look at his highlights and, you know, everything that you hear about, you know, the beat writers in Seattle saying, hey, how hard this guy competes and how hard this guy plays. And they had to back him off when they had no pads in rookie minicamp. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, any time that you can get a guy like that, not only is he going to be productive and give you a chance to win, but I, what that does for a, a guy that wants to work that hard for a team's culture, I, I think is you can't measure. Um, so I do think that was an unbelievable draft pick, you know, just as I start to hear things from the outside looking in. With that, what would a 31-year-old Jordan Pow Pow go back and tell a 16, 17-year-old Jordan Pow Pow? Uh, what would I tell them? <laughs> what would you tell yourself if you could go back and tell yourself one thing in high school? You know, I don't know if you um, overcame any obstacles or if you felt like you did something wrong or could have done something better or worried about something that you shouldn't have been stressed out about. What would you go back and what was the advice you would give yourself? I would have I would have warned him that the defensive tackle he was going to play in 2005 for the University of Pennsylvania was going to be a really good football player because that was probably one of the most embarrassing games I think I've ever had. <laughs> uh, so I try and give myself a heads up in that regard. Um, but but the advice, I, I don't know if I'd do anything differently. You know, I, I feel like for me, just being an undersized offensive lineman, I thought there was always a pretty big time chip on my shoulder. And um, I even feel kind of within my own family and older cousins, there was a lot of people that were more talented than I was. But I, I wasn't going to let anybody outwork me. And for you to be able to beat me on a given play was, was going to take a good amount.
amount of effort. So um, probably just advance warnings about the opponents that that got me pretty good in college, quite honestly. What is the one of the biggest things for kids who are going into the draft? Do you work out your guys before you know before they have a pro day or before they go to combine? Um, I, I for my guys that are leaving, I think a little bit is just what to expect out of the draft process. Um, now that I've seen it a couple of different times and we've had some decent success at putting some tight ends there, um, I think one of the best things that I think that I'll try and do is I'll try and reach out to you know guys that are in the NFL that have played for me, like Austin, uh, Saperian Jenkins, you know, will be a part of that fraternity now, Josh Perkins, Darrell, and then have those guys talk to you know, the guy that's going through this and just give them some advice, um, kind of things that they wish they had done a little bit differently, things that they wish they had had a heads up about, um, and kind of just get their mind ready for it more so than any sort of, cause those, you know, I think everybody does a pretty good job of physically preparing, um, themselves for the draft. In fact, it's almost kind of hysterical how, <laughs> a lot of players that you tell them to eat the right things and do the right things in college. And then in six months, they are all of a sudden it becomes that much more important to go to go to the NFL and they change their body. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's probably a little bit more of the mental aspect of it. And, you know, trying to connect guys that have been there before with the guys that are going through it right now. I'm shocked that Jake Browning is still a Husky. Your quarterback. He's a phenomenal talent. What's he? 28. but it's tough to keep a senior that's as good as he is sure um you know i think the thing for jake was um he is one of the smartest most cognizant football players i think i've ever been around and i've been able to be around some pretty cool quarterbacks like andrew luck is probably the guy that kind of stands out the most just in terms of knowing where the ball is supposed to go knowing how it's supposed to get there, the timing required for it. Um, I think he truly has a unique talent um, in that aspect. And, and I think Jake is, you know, probably about as motivated as anybody on the team to um, be able to have a really good senior season and, and finish this thing the right way. I assume he came back to win a national championship. That's kind of his desire, right? I'm sure that's a long, long list of goals for him. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully that's that's a a goal for everybody on our football team. But um, I think one of the cool things about you know playing for working for a guy like Pete is really being able to focus on the process and the day to day, and then let those goals kind of be a byproduct of of making sure that we stick to those. Now, how hard do you guys push players to understand different positions on the team? Um, we had Tom Hackett in. We were talking to him before, um, and he has said. You know, he was the kicker, and when he first started, he didn't care to know or just really know much about other positions. But then when he started learning about it and learning the game, he had much more of a deeper appreciation for the game, and he understood things a lot more. Sure. I think that's a huge part of just your growth as a football player. Um, I think it allows you to do your job, um, you know, at a better level and probably more specifically be able to do it with more detail and faster, um, playing with more precision. But I think that's the difference of, you know, exactly what he was talking about is like you start off this way and it's your learning curve. You know, you just want to make sure that you know your job to be able to try and get more playing time. And then as you start to grow and you start to progress, you can start to learn how that fits within, um, 
you know, our offense or our special teams or whatever phase of the football game that may be. So I think for us is, you know, I'll always try and push as fast as you can to learn everybody, everything around you. But for a true freshman to be able to, to know all that, that's just information overload and, and probably, you know, a very fast way to short circuit. So I think that's, you know, kind of where the coach steps in is, you know, how fast can we accelerate that learning curve? How fast can I get him from knowing what he has to do? Um, and, and then slowly but surely start to progress that as to where that fits within the concept, within the scheme. Um, I, I think it leads to a lot of growth and maturity for older players. Yo, Sasha, you got a last question as we wrap this up? I think what you guys do as a program, and not just your football team, but when your softball team comes to Utah, when your baseball team comes to Utah, when your men's and women's basketball programs and gymnastics team come to Utah, nothing but class and you guys exemplify what student athletes are and what a good institution is. And I don't say that, um, you know, to kiss up to you. I, I think your sports program is a beautiful thing. And uh, the ladies, men and others that come to campus um, represent you guys very well. So, and it's noticeable. I appreciate that very much. And that, you know, I think that starts with our athletic director uh, of really giving us a, a pretty great direction. Um, you know, Jane Cohen, I've known her for a really long time. It's been so awesome to kind of see her accelerate um, to be able to become our, our athletic director. And I think she's done a phenomenal job. And, you know, I, I think that also goes back to Coach Pete and the head coaches, the quality of head coaches across, you know, our athletic department of being able, able to emphasize, you know, what's important. And I think that's, you know, a huge deal for, you know, that's what you're going to get at the University of Washington is you're going to get to be able to compete in one of the best leagues um, in the nation. But ultimately, is you know, it, the sports are a byproduct of doing things right away from, you know, your athletic venue, uh, being able to take pride in academics, of treating people the right way. And, you know, that's from whether that be a custodian, a flight attendant or, um, you know, being able to, to try and be a great representative of everything that ends up stands for in it. Well, I just like to say I appreciate that you guys are starting the season off uh, with a non cupcake. And <laughs> I'll actually kind of root for Washington. You're a third on the list after Memphis and Utah. So, <laughs> well, I, hey, I'll take a kind of. We'll, we'll take as many as we'll take as many as we can get, man. September fifteenth, you guys are going to be here at Rice Eccles Stadium. Uh, it's probably going to be a big Fox show or a big ESPN show, and it should be a fantastic game. I tell you what, that's a, that is always a tough place to play. Uh, I do enjoy being in that stadium. Um, you know, Utah's a tough team to beat in that stadium without question. All right, and wrapping up here, your biggest piece of advice you can give to high school football players? High school football players is take care of academics and follow your heart. You know, I think a lot of times there's a bunch of outside influences and people do some things because of playing time. They do things, um, you know, probably because of bad advice for whatever reason. Um, you know, you, you can't go wrong following your heart, doing what you're passionate about, but ultimately taking care of the right things. You know, recruiting is its a long process, um, and it always takes care of itself. You always end up where you should be, and um, I, I think that, you know, if, if kids were able to do things for the right reasons and maybe not necessarily with recruiting as, you know, their initial reason or ambition, I, I think good things will happen for them regardless. All right, thank you. We'll leave it with that. That was really good. Really good wrap up.
Nice I advice. I appreciate you guys having me very much. <laughs> Sasha, why are you laughing at me? Oh, you're just adorable, Brittany. Uh, it was really good. I, you know what? Anyway, this is a wrap. I'm going to need y'all to subscribe to the podcast on Google, iTunes, and Stitcher. Stitcher. Yes. And Jordan, you have to listen to the podcast now. I'm excited, for sure. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, That's good for us. Mm-hmm.